does the cartoonish debacle you just witnessed in Congress involving electing a Speaker of the House really matter? How will it show up at your house? And how does redistricting, lack of voter turnout, social media, and lies impact your kitchen table? From Free Speech TV, just solutions. Good day. <laughs> how about that? I am the host of Just Solutions, Gloria Neal. It is good for you to be with me. I have a very special guest who's going to join me momentarily, but I want to set the stage for where we are in this particular time in history. So if you're paying attention, you know that, um, let's just say, Congress had a really, really embarrassing two or three week period last week and then beyond. I'm talking about Kevin McCarthy. I'm talking about he was elected the Speaker of the House after what? 14, 15 tries? Yeah, on that 15th time, that was the key. But to secure that gavel, McCarthy had to chip away at opposition from really the far, far right wing of the party. And so as I watched at my kitchen table, hmm, what did he give up to get there? Because no one in history has ever done what Kevin McCarthy had to do to get the gavel. And that is 15 times it took for the vote into the wee hours of the morning until late at night, until early morning. It was, let's just say it was troubling to watch. And in many instances, a lot of folks I spoke with said it was an embarrassment to watch what took place. My guest today is Amber McReynolds because we're gonna talk about not only what took place but why you should care, right? If you're thinking, mm, it's not impacting me, trust and believe it is impacting you and will continue to impact you even more, whether you are at your kitchen table, on the train, walking down the street, at your job, fill in the blank. It will impact you in school, not in school, whether it's elementary or post-secondary education, it is going to impact you. So, as I said, Amber McReynolds, my guest today, she is a national election expert and consultant. She is also the author of When Women Vote, and she is a former election official. First of all, let me just say, Amber, thank you for joining me today, and welcome to Just Solutions. Well, thanks for having me, Gloria. It's a, it's a great honor to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. It is indeed special for me as well. So let me just cut to the quick. As most people watched and they said, oh, well, why should I care? Why do I need to care what's going on? I don't run my household like Congress runs its household or some of the things that I saw. Why is it important and why should people pay attention? Well, first, um, you know, it, every vote matters. And, and I, you know, I worked in the election administration world and tried to improve the voting process for all for my entire career. And, you know, when we look at 2022, and I just want to give a, a data point here on 2020, but also 2022, less than 50% of voters that are eligible to vote in this country participated in 2022's general election. So when you go, you know, just going out to the grocery store or um, going through your daily life, think about that in terms of the numbers that you see. One in two people that you pass by on a, day, on a daily basis did not vote. And 
you know, I think that is really uh, the the crux of, of, of what we're dealing with today. People have a low confidence in government and systems being responsive to their everyday needs. This has been a deterioration, if you will, of confidence and trust over a period of time. And there's many forces that have encouraged that lack of confidence and pushed lies and conspiracies that have led to it. Um, and there's a number of other factors, you know, that there's sort of the the voting process itself and your ability to vote and your ability to engage. But then there's also even, this goes all the way to redistricting and, and how uh, the impacts of gerrymandering and, and you know, many states have independent commissions that draw the lines for political boundaries and determine, you know, who is going to be your representative. And then there's other states that have made it a very partisan process and that has resulted in, you know, about 90%, maybe even more of those congressional seats are actually not competitive. And so when you factor all of those things in, the lack of voting and participation, lack of engagement, trust issues, redistricting issues, you sort of end up with this tsunami of events that we frankly watched play out on our on our television screens, or you got the 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 summary version because you were busy in your everyday life doing your work and taking care of your kids and going to school and all those things while Congress had 15 votes for for speaker over many days. Yeah. And the challenging part of that is when you start looking at, well, I'm too busy, I can't do this, or this really isn't an issue for me, Congress controls the money, right? If you start looking at all the money that is doled out, whether it's government, whether it is um, indirectly impacting private sector, it really impacts everything. It makes this country go, right? It makes this country go. And so as we look at, well, okay, so that happened. It's been 164 years or something to that degree where this has never happened. But to win over critics and to win over those who were so far right, he had to concede a lot, he being McCarthy. And now you got the moderates in the Republican Party saying, hold up, I think we gave away too much. Where does this stalemate kind of leave us with the Republicans only having, what, a four or five vote majority and the Democrats, you know, all in unison? Thank you, Lord. Hopefully that'll continue. But that's just me. We want to be able to move this thing along, right? Because it is the people's business. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's supposed to be the people's business. So where do we go from here? Well, I think there's a number of things, and you're exactly right. I mean, it is the people's business. And I think what a lot of what has happened, at least in our politics, with the divisiveness and, and the lies and conspiracies that have now uh, given way to uh, that lack of trust in the process, you know, we're, we're seeing politicians that, you know, when the campaign ends and if they win, they're elected to go represent the entirety of their population in their district, regardless of whether or not a voter is a Republican, a Democrat, or an unaffiliated voter. I'm, I'm myself, I'm an unaffiliated voter. Regardless right. of your party affiliation, you expect the people that are representing your area or your district in Washington to do the right thing for you and represent the interests of the entirety. I think what we saw play out is we have a number of these politicians that, you know, frankly, are only representing those people that voted for them. And they're they're making decisions and they're making choices based on just who, who gave them money, who supported them, who voted for them, who who's on who's in their clan, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I 
I think that tribalism in the politics, mm-hmm. you know, we saw play out on national television and, 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 and it doesn't, it isn't what people want. It's not what voters want to see happen. Voters want things to get done that improve their everyday lives. And, uh, and we need a functional process in DC uh, to make that happen. And, you know, you contrast with what we saw in Congress and you look at say Pennsylvania is a good example. And it's a story I read about they have a very, they have like within a two or three vote margin in their, in their, um, in their legislature, they chose a speaker who was a Democrat, became an independent, and he's going to be the independent speaker, but they've never had an independent speaker before, but they ended up compromising to get to the place so that they could govern and build a coalition government together. Yeah. Um, and so you see these things play out in the states that are far different from, from what we saw play out in Washington, D.C., Well, and I think it's going to take that kind of thing. You look at the individuals who not only um, were successful this time around, I know in many states they are seeing a woman majority. Mm -hmm. Do you think some of those things are going to hold sway and make the difference this time around, as opposed to people saying, well, they promised they wouldn't do this, and then they do just that, right? So the trust is eroded because, quite frankly, so many lies have been told this tribalism, as in, I am going to put party before country, all the things that our forefathers never really thought of, right, mm-hmm. that are now coming to pass. And so I think as they talk about the Constitution being a living, breathing document, I don't think the time is any more true than now to see that come to life. If we've got to give it CPR, then we need to do it because what we are experiencing is an erosion of democracy. We we are exactly, and you know, when I, there's so many different variables and impacts that are that are sort of um, having an influence on what we're seeing today, and and a couple of those things. I mean, you know, before um, you know, a decade ago, we did not have social media in everybody's in everybody's lives as we do now, so we have much more access to information and communication than we ever did. That's a good thing, in theory. But for folks that want to pass on conspiracies or lies or create drama and kind of uh, catalyze this tribalism even further, that also is a tool to be used in a negative way. And so there's sort of that impact. There's also been this erosion of reliance on the party structures. People used to be affiliated with the two major parties uh, far to a far greater extent than they are today. In fact, 45% of the country now are politically independent. They don't affiliate uh, in in a state. They're not required to register with a party in many states, um, and they don't associate, so they don't show up to the party meetings. So they get their information in different ways and make decisions in different ways. And so our politics that we see happen in Washington, D.C., and even in most states around the country, have not responded to those significant trends in terms of what voters are choosing. And I, I use the phrase voters first. We have to build systems and create processes that put voters first and at the center of the process, not the parties, not the politicians. You know, there is really a, a need to put the country above the parties. Yeah, no question. And, and by the way, you can join this conversation on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at Free Speech TV. Please join this conversation because it is all about you. But Amber, I want to I want to backtrack on something you talked about social media. A lot of people, me included, I think, did not give social media the respect that it really required, or even the caution as it relates to the erosion of democracy. And so you said it: 
people get their information in a myriad of ways. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that information is accurate. How much of social media do you think has played a role in this and quite frankly, dumbing down a lot of the facts, making lies seem truthful? Well, and it's a combination of things. You know, one of the other things that's happened with the rise of social media is is the compression, the de depression of local journalism. We, yeah. we now have far less local journalists covering politics at the local level or even the national level than we had before. And so a lot of those communication channels have evaporated, likely because of some of the expansions in social media. Social media is an incredible tool to connect people, to discuss ideas, to engage. Um, like, you know, in my mind, the positive nature of it far outweighs the negative, but the negative is highly destructive. No um, and, you know, even with uh, foreign adversaries that we've seen interfering in our process over time, spreading lies and conspiracies, now we've got domestic actors that have decided to do the same. And so when we lose the ability to agree on the facts and what the truth is, and right. we've got alternate versions of those things um, based on conspiracies and lies, we're going to continue to see uh, a really challenging environment um, unless we can get in front of it and be more thoughtful about how these systems operate and and how and give people the tools to determine um, what those conspiracies are or what the truth and facts are uh, of any given issue. If I'm sitting at home and I'm watching and I say, okay, so why should I care? Amber, give me one reason to care about what I'm seeing take place on my TV screen? How does that relate to politics locally? How does that relate to my kitchen table? Why do I care? Well, I'll give you the reason that I care on a daily basis. And I know this, this is different depending on what, you know, what people's personal uh, situations might be. But the reason that I deeply care is my children. And they're, you know, nine and 11. They're growing up in a, in a world that's far different than the one I grew up in. And I deeply care about what the world looks like for them at the local, at the state and the federal level. And I, I, I think that we have to be, um, you know, not only uh, focused on the local, and I kind of always say vote locally, but think globally, all of these things, you know, we're in a much more connected world than we ever were before. And, uh, you know, civility and, and civics and really deep, good discussions about, the best path to solve our greatest challenges is really critical. And so, you know, we don't have time, frankly, as a country to have 15 votes over multiple days. We have so many uh, great challenges before us and we really need elected politicians to put voters first, recognize that they represent the entirety of the district they were or the state that they were elected in and not just the people that voted for them right. and, and try to look for more commonalities rather than starting with what the divisions are um, on a given policy or a given issue. Right. Do you see a difference or hope, if you will, in how men govern versus how women govern? Well, I'll give you a stat. Um, and this is, you know, we have a number of stats in our books about this in our book, Women, Women Vote, where we talk about this. Um, Nevada and Colorado now have more than 50% women in their legislature. Uh, the United States Senate, and I just saw this figure the other day, actually has more men named John than women with children under the 18. There's, there's only two women senators that have children under the age of 18 right now. 
the House of Representatives has very, I think there's only three or four single parents that are in the House of Representatives. Very few women when you look at the overall percentage of our population versus Congress. Um, and so I do think that it absolutely has an impact. And a good example of, you know, two women that came together to endorse each other that were of different party affiliations and they built a coalition is Lisa Murkowski and Mary Pertola in Alaska. They 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 endorsed each other. One's a Republican, one's a Democrat. They both won. Um, and they've and they've had they've really, I think, communicated a different style of politics than what we've seen in terms of the tribalism and the and the divisiveness and the beating of the chest and the, you know, constant, constant seeking of attention that we see out of so many different types of politicians uh, around the country. And, you know, I think women, you know, as a mom myself, I think we do need more. Uh, parents and and people that are in the everyday of bringing up children right now right. In, in the environment that we're in uh, to to be at the table in a big right. way, uh, whether that's being elected or being appointed or serving in government or serving in business or nonprofits. It's really important that we uh, continue to expand the voices that uh, are in these conversations. I agree. I agree 100% because I think what happens is, and I've said this so many times, so goes the woman, so goes the household. Well, when that woman is out, when she is out, if she is involved in politics, all of that experience, that CEO-dom, as I call it, because when you're running a house, you are the CEO. And even though the husband's there and he's, you know, honey, just do whatever you want, or honey, more times than not, it is the woman who's saying, okay, we gotta get this squared away. This has gotta get done. This has gotta get done. We bring all of that experience into a legislative body and we look at the inefficiencies, we look at the dysfunction and we say, y'all need to wake up. You need to wake up and speed up because people's lives, real people, their lives are hanging in the balance. So Amber, the name of the show is Just Solutions. So I would be remiss if I didn't say or ask you, what's the solution? What can we do better? What is one thing, one area where we can start and say, okay, let's start chipping away at this elephant because complaining about it is not going to get it done. Yeah. And the, and the issue with all of this, right, is that it, it actually is not just one solution. Um, it is, it is going to take a multitude of, of, of changes and improvements to our system uh, to address this. And, you know, I mentioned redistricting. I, I think this is a core fundamental uh, reform that needs to happen. Uh, the state where I, I live in, and I know you live in as well, Gloria, is Colorado. And we uh, just did the first independent redistricting commission to draw our congressional and state legislative lines. The, the districts were the most competitive than they ever have been before. Uh, it was not a party-driven process. It was an independent redistricting commission that had balance amongst Republicans, Democrats, and independents. And the result is pretty incredible. We had the most competitive districts. What that forces, that competition within districts when we elect our, our representatives, is it forces accountability and transparency of those that are incumbents and in office, but it forces them to also be far more responsive to a wider group of people in their district rather than a gerrymandered district that uh, creates a safe seat like we see in most states right now. So I think redistricting is, is core. I think voting access policies, uh, this is where, where most of my life's work has been um, on making sure that people have access to safe, secure, accessible ways to vote. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I'm sorry, but 2022 in a midterm election, less than 50% of eligible voters in this country cast a ballot. Uh, and even in the presidential that was the highest of our lifetime, only two thirds of the registered and active and, and uh, eligible voters in this country voted. 67% was the average turnout across the country in 2020. And that means one in three people uh, voted in 2020. And so we've got to do more to ex you know, expand and educate the electorate, make sure they're informed and, and engaged and know how to vote, but also make sure the laws are, frankly, meet people where they are and, and respond to the fact that people work multiple jobs. They might be at school, they might be raising families yeah. and this sort of limited options in certain states like what it exists now does not respond to meeting people where they are and making sure their customer experience voting is awesome. Uh, so I think those two are very big things. I think there's a, a fundamental issue with the way Congress is operating. It's not as modern as it could be. It's that the reason that there's not a lot of young parents in Congress is because the, the structure of Congress isn't conducive to that. Uh, if you're a single mother like I am, I, I'm not even sure how I would do that if I'd have to move my kids to DC and put them in school there so that I could be present every day voting. I mean, that. It's not, it's not reflective of the everyday lives that people lead right now. And so modernizing and thinking about different ways of doing things is really, really important. Um, and then the final one is the fact of the matter is the majority of the country is, has chosen to be politically independent and they've chosen to be unaffiliated. And so given that we've got this rise in people not wanting to label themselves with one of the two political parties, we have to make sure those voters are enfranchised to participate in primary elections, which is you know when we have 90% safe seats, the general election is really in the primary, and that and yet a lot of those unaffiliated voters still can't participate in those elections. So we got to make sure that everyone is fully enfranchised uh, to participate as well. Yeah, those are all extremely valid points, especially when you start talking about how many people have changed their affiliation to that of independent, but. Let me just ask you something before I let you go today, because it is so very important. And you talked about this, the redistricting and really what you were saying, a lot of these books have been cooked. Gerrymandering has taken place. And you're right, the legislation to combat that. Um, some states have been more successful than others. I know Colorado was one of those. I know that you are heavily involved in that. And I'm thankful, um, but it's important because regardless of who you're voting for, the the barriers or the lack of barriers should be equal across the board. It should not be harder for one group um, to vote more so than another group. It should be equal across the board. Talk a little bit about gerrymandering for those who may not know exactly what that means. Well, the redistricting process, it, it happens every 10 years. Um, so Congress uh, or I'm sorry, the federal government does the census. It determines how many people live in each state and in each area of the country. Um, that was challenging in 2020 because of the pandemic. So the census that occurred was very challenging to do because of, of the impact of the global pandemic. Um, and then when, when that data is determined, the states are responsible for drawing congressional lines. So that's congressional redistricting. And then there's the state legislative redistricting piece. I actually served on the first independent redistricting commission in Colorado. So I was a commissioner last year, helped draw this process, actually was one of the ones negotiating some of the final maps as one of the independent commissioners. And 
you know, when you go through that process, we held we held um, dozens of public meetings, both virtual and in person across the entire state of Colorado. And the thing that struck me through that process is that regardless of what area of the state we were in right. uh, or what the affiliation was of the folks that were providing testimony, the agreement amongst everyday citizens about certain issues or about how they thought should, they should be represented or what their district lines might entail was amazing to me. There was very little disagreement when you actually dig down into what people are saying. They want they want fair representation. And right. that's not just in the state of Colorado, that's everywhere. Um, and the thing that's cool about Colorado, Michigan did this too, but the states that have led on in the passage of independent redistricting commissions, they've actually done it through citizens initiatives. So California passed it through a citizens initiative, Colorado did, Michigan did. And so part of that was the legislatures in those states did not act and didn't change it themselves. So the citizens said, we want an independent redistricting commission. So I think this is definitely something we need to see far more reform on before the next census comes around to make sure that people are fairly represented because that's really ultimately what they want. That's exactly right. Well, I cannot thank you enough. And I really wanted to just drill it down. And I know when we spoke about this, you know, I said, I want people to understand even social security checks, guess what? Mm -hmm. All of that is impacted if there is no Congress and you can't really swear people in until you have a speaker because it's just otherwise it's just a group of people meeting. Yeah, you know? it's the functioning of the system that is, you know, so important that impacts our everyday lives. Right. Absolutely does. And I even had said indirectly, even impacts 501c3s. I know there's a, a group of individuals who were waiting on Congress to reconvene or get started, get underway so that their particular proposal that was tabled last time can now be approved. That's $4 million for one organization. They were waiting on Congress really to write that check. Everything had been approved, but you know, you can't get anything without the check. That's air pudding. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> it, right. it makes no difference. So with that, Amber, I cannot thank you enough, not only for the service that you've done, but that you continue to do. And I know you are not done yet in this political world that we live in because everything is politics. Thank you for being my guest. Thanks for having me, Gloria. It's been, it's been great to be here. Absolutely. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Amber McReynolds. And you heard me earlier where you said, where I said, actually, well, who is she? She is an election uh, official, former election official, I should say, but she's worked on so many initiatives that impact not just Colorado, Georgia, Alaska, DC. I mean, she has been uh, at those tables because it is extremely important not only to have women there, but to have qualified women there who can move that needle and make the difference. Being a consultant, and then if you have not gotten her book, When Women Vote, get it. There's a part two that's coming, but get this one. Very, very good. So this was my first show as your host of Just Solutions. And I am thrilled to be here. I will continue to listen to you. And I want you in turn to listen to me. I wanna influence, I want you to influence me, right? As we take this journey into what is next, because everything that you were dealing with today is about politics. And it is all about not just surviving, but thriving as we go into 2023. So with that, I will say thank you 
and have a good day. I'm Gloria Neal. This is Just Solutions. <laughs>